0: Letter Thirteen of Letters from Hell This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Letters from Hell by Valdemar Adolf Thisted Translated by L.W.J.S. Letter Thirteen there are very aged people in hell, naturally. To be two or three thousand years old, according to human computation, is nothing unusual here. There are men in this place who lived in the time of Sardanapalus, of Cyrus, of Alexander the Great, who knew Socrates, perhaps, or Cicero, Horace, Seneca, and the like. Indeed, who can tell? but some of these historic personages themselves are here. There are people here who remember the fall of Nineveh, the sacking of Troy, the destruction of Jerusalem, who consulted the stars with the Chaldees of old, who tended the flocks in the days of Abraham, who helped to build the pyramids of Egypt. Others are here to whom Noah preached the deluge. Hell, then, would seem to be a fine place for the pursuit of history, but somehow no one cares for that study here, things being dead in this place and void of interest. I myself do not care in the least to become acquainted with historic characters. The only longing I am conscious of in this respect being to meet with a contemporary of the Saviour of Men, one who saw and heard him, I mean but it is a fruitless desire. There are many here, of course, who lived in his day and even listened to his teachings. But, although they say they remember, they are quite incapable of imparting anything, or they speak of a false messiah, of a deceiver of the people. There is not a particle of truth in all their talk, and it is truth I am thirsting for so grievously, Is it not terrible? But I am wandering from my subject. I was going to say that old people here assure you that the atmosphere of this place is fast turning into vapor. A pleasant prospect, this, if it goes on. Now, I remember noticing that empty talk is on the increase in the world. Thoughtful men to whom i mentioned the observation believed cheap literature and the so-called education of the masses to be the probable cause. A strange explanation of the aforenamed phenomena, is it not? Vanity of speech on the increase. A pleasant prospect, truly, if it continues. To be sure, the world could never do without its talk, but the superabundance is alarming. A new deluge threatens. The spirit is lost in hollow words. The world used to be more simple, I am sure, in olden times. Straightforward statements, at any rate. Used to be current much more than they are now. Invention in all spheres is on the increase. The invention of pretenses, remarkably so. One feels inclined at times to call out despairingly. Words, words, words as Hamlet did. I am sure words are the dominant power nowadays in so-called intellectual pursuits. It is not the informing of spirit, but the phrase, which is puffed and offered for sale. It has transpired, however, that the genius of talk is prepared to patronize the genius of mind, promising to save it from utter neglect. But the spirit will have none of it, crying, Let me die rather than be the slave of words. Another striking observation has been made here of late. The number of women in hell is on the increase. Now, the emptiness of talk is scarcely a sufficient explanation of this fact, but a fact it is. Only half a century ago, men used to preponderate by far. At the present moment, equality has very nearly been attained. Before long, I doubt not. The fairer sex will outnumber the stronger. There is a reason for everything, and the cause of the effect in question will appear patent to anyone looking about him open-eyed. Education is at fault, that watchword of modern times. We hear much nowadays of woman's right to be educated. Not a doubt of it, and some few, I believe, manage their own creditable share of culture. It is not of those I would speak, but of the training of girls in a general way. How, indeed, do we educate them? And is their mind, their heart, the better for the teaching they get? Do we bring them to view in nature, for instance, or in history, the eternal purpose of beauty and of truth? Are we anxious that they should learn to distinguish between the pure and the impure, the mean and the noble? the paltry and the truly great, that they should seek the ideal in life, a, their own ideal, the crown of their womanhood. Is it truth? Is it love we teach them? And above all, do we lead them to him who is truth and love eternal, their God, their Savior? Do we, I ask? But no. This is not the so-called first-class education our girls get for all their governesses and finishing masters. Our girls, coming forth from the schoolroom, will jabber their two or three foreign tongues, will rattle away on the piano or sing a song, and happy are the ears that need not hear it. Our girls, moreover, are found to have a smattering of things in general, enabling them to venture on all sorts of topics concerning which they are profoundly ignorant. Our girls are supposed to have acquired style and deportment to boot, the art of dress being neither last nor least. Every fold of their garments assumes a vital importance, but concerning the bent of their hearts, who takes the trouble to inquire? It is vanity and their education a farce. Poor girls, poor women. You are worse off, I say. In these days of culture than you were in the darkest of ages when no one dreamt you needed teaching. In those days you were looked upon as though you had no souls. Time righted you. And it was allowed you were not mere puppets. Now you are being varnished over by way of education till your soul lies encrusted beneath. The good old times, after all, were best. Our grandmothers were brought up for home duties chiefly, and lesson books were of the fewest beyond their Bibles and their catechism. Women knew their calling, they accepted it at the hands of God, and were happy in doing their duty. But now, what of it? The clearest notion which girls and, I fear, many women, have of duty nowadays is, that it is a bore. And what is life, as they take it? Is it not to amuse themselves as long as possible, to play lawn tennis all day and every day, to catch a husband and have sweet little babies, little dears, images of their mother, of course, to be fashionable, shining in society till old age overtakes them? Is not that it? But there remains one thing which is never mentioned, They may die any day and wake up in hell. Earth, truly, presents a variety of schools preparatory for hell. Those which men frequent are bad enough, but those for women let angels weep. I went for a walk lately, passing by the gates of hell. Understand me aright. I am not speaking of those awful gates of hell set up in defiance of the Lord of Heaven himself though they cannot prevail. They are in the abyss I have spoken of, which is a far more dreadful place than this abode of death. I only mean that I passed near the entrance of Hades. An entrance truly it is, for of your own free will you never get out, wide open though you find it. I cannot tell whether I contemplated anything like an escape, I only know that on approaching a certain boundary line, an awful stop resounded, and I slunk back terrified. No one, then, passes out, save under dread compulsion, but there's a flocking in continuously. I forget what they say of the death rate in the world. Is it every minute or every second that a human soul goes to eternity? Be it as it may, it is a terrible fact that the greater part of those who die present themselves at these gates of hopelessness. There is not a more appalling sight in hell than watching this entrance. The space beyond is wrapped in a shadowy mist, out of which lost souls are constantly emerging, singly or in troops, dawning upon your vision. They are all equally naked, differing but in sex and in age. The beggar and the king are not to be known from one another, both arriving in like miserable nakedness. That abject misery is the common mark of unredeemed humanity, set upon all the children of Adam coming hither, no matter what station was theirs in life. They have all come by the same road, broad and pleasant at first but terrible at its latter end. As they approach the gates, they are seized with fear and trembling, and pass them in an agony of despair. The love of amusement nowadays scarcely stops short of the harassing. Men love to feast upon anything that excites their unhealthy fancy, but I assure you I have not sunk to that state of callousness which could look upon the dreadful scene unmoved. All these are coming to share my misery, I cried. Say not it was complacency clothed in pity. There was something not altogether mean in my sympathy. I could have wept for them, as I longed to weep for myself. Yet, after all, I felt fascinated by the sight, and tore myself away with difficulty. The picture, I knew, would pursue me into whatever solitude I might plunge. How rich is life! How full of enjoyment! I see it now where nothing is left to comfort the soul. My life, I too cannot but own, was overflowing with blessings. How many moments I can call to mind that seemed welling over with content. The sound of a certain bell keeps coming back to my inward ear. I hear it ringing, ringing, ringing and it vibrates through my inmost soul. It is the bell of evensong, to which I loved to listen in days gone by. And as I hear it, the sounds call up a scene of beauty rich with the hues of memory. I see waving cornfields, like sheets of gold between the somber woodlands and the winding stream. I see towering mountains lifting their rocky heights into the burnished colors of the west. I see the sun sinking on the horizon, vanishing in a wealth of roseate sheen, and twilight spreads her wings, a deep holy calm enwrapping nature. I say a holy calm, for the sounds of the ringing bell are burdened with a message of peace to the soul. The smoke ascends from the cottages about, and the incense of prayer rises from many a heart Those whom love unites gather in unity, the children nestle by their mother's knee, awaiting the father returning from work, and when he has come, they close the door upon the outside world, upon the troubles and hardships, too, that daily life may bring. Or, if some cause of care will not be banished, there is love at hand to deal with it. Yea, it helps to nurture that love whose deepest roots are sunk in sorrow. Would I were that poor labourer returning from the field he tills in the sweat of his brow, or that barefooted youth keeping the cattle on the lea. The evening bell continues ringing, ringing to my ear, but the message it carries now is, too late, too late. Ah, little bell! My longing is turned to despair. End of letter 13. Thank you for listening. And if you like this, please subscribe and consider liking my Facebook page and joining my group, Jesus Answers Prayer. May God bless your day.